What an incredible day yesterday. Yeah, thank you. Let's put our hands together for that. You know, it was, it was one of those events, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, we had a, a family fall festival yesterday. Uh, I know that there are people here today that came to that. And um, what I love about what we did as a church is it's such a fun, non-churchy way of just serving our community. It was just a great way to love on people and just let them just let them get a little glimpse of, of who LifePoint is. And so I do want to give a big thank you to all of our volunteers who worked endless hours and made it happen. So would you would you just join me and just putting our hands together? Um, thank you so much. There is so much that that we did as a church, and it doesn't you know it's not possible uh, without. The time that you guys invest, uh, how you invest not only of your time, but also your finances. And I just, I could not be any more proud of you for a small little church like LifePoint to reach not, not just a few, but hundreds and hundreds of people. I haven't gotten the last number, but I know that we had up to 1,200 people signed up uh, by Sunday night, and I know that many of them showed up, and so thank you so much. Uh, I want to welcome you to week four of a series that we're doing called Unreligious. Unreligious. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Galatians chapter 3 unreligious undoing religion in our lives it's a, a study that we've been doing based on the uh, the book of galatians unreligious is um the name of the series and today the title is this catastrophic thinking catastrophic thinking and i want to begin as you're turning to galatians chapter three i want to begin with two verses you don't have to turn to them We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to Galatians chapter 3 here in a little bit. But just something to, to keep in mind as we introduce this subject. The first verse that I want to use is from Proverbs where God says this. It's on the screen. He says, there is a way that seems right to people, but in the end it leads to death. Now, I share that verse with you because I think this is the heart of what Paul is trying to tell the Galatians. There is, a, in other words, there are some things that you're doing, and like your intentions are in the right place, okay? Like your motives are probably in the right place. But I just want you to know there are some things that you're doing that may not be the best for you, okay? They actually, and he says it, you know, there's, there's some things that you're thinking through, that you're working through, and I know your heart is in the right place, but the end result is catastrophic, your thinking is it's not good. Now, let me kind of share with you how this relates to us. One of the things that we do, if you're a spiritual person, if you're on this spiritual journey, one of the things that we all have to do is we have to build up our conscience. What do you mean by that, build up your conscience? We have to build up our conscience with God's Word, okay? Because if not, then like the standard, the standard's got to be God's Word, if not, you can, you can do something like this. Let me kind of explain. I, I, could, I could say something like, you know, I try, just personally in my own life, I try not to lie, okay? I, just a person, I try to be an honest person. Now, you may ask me, why is that? And it's like, I think it's a good idea. I think it's good for me to just live my life with integrity and just be an honest person. Now, that is a good answer, not a great answer. And I'll tell you why. 
Because I could very easily say, you know, I try to be a good person. I try to be an honest person. I try not to lie unless it's not convenient. And all of a sudden, it's my own sin. Unless, you know, I'm going through something, and man, my back is against the wall, and like I'm going through this, and you know, I try to be a person of integrity, unless, and then you fill in the blank, unless it's not good for me in the moment. And so the challenge is to have a standard that's not based on what I believe in the moment, but what's best for my life. And so one of the things, and I applaud you, you're all doing it today. You know, you are, this, you're not born with like God's knowledge in your brain. This is something that you have to build up to it. Let me give you a, the second verse that I want to use as we introduce the subject. 1 Corinthians 4, 4. It says this, my conscience, this is Paul, same guy that wrote Galatians, okay? This guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and he's saying this, watch this. My conscience is clear but that does not make me let's all say that word that's underlined that does not make me what innocent so he says look my my conscience may be clear but that doesn't automatically make me innocent and he says it is the lord who judges me and so paul is writing to these people his group of people in several churches in galatia and he's saying to them i know that what you're thinking is good i know that your heart is in the right place i know you have good intentions but let me let me get something straight okay you have some humanistic views philosophies and they're not right according to god's standard and so that's why it's so important that you test your own principles your own values what you believe there's a lot of things that you have in life a lot of core values that you believe in you've never maybe written them down but you there's some core values i mean you lead your family a particular way you do things some things a particular way it's important that you test all of those things against the backdrop of god's word and so paul is telling them you're off here and there you're thinking you're doing a good thing but in the end the end result okay it's like what proverbs says right like there's a way that seems right to people but the end in the end it leads to death catastrophic thinking all right so with that in mind actually no i'm getting ahead of myself let me give you this let me give you a couple of beliefs that that we may all think they're right okay so let me just kind of put it up on the screen beliefs that seem right let's see if we can all relate this in our culture most of us would would say yep i agree with that okay so if i do something wrong like i talked to my wife the wrong way this morning i should do something what right like if i if i messed up and i you know i talked to her the wrong way i better be doing something like i better be doing the dishes i better be cleaning the house how many of you ladies say amen to that there you go thank you so much you guys are doing better than the first crowd all right so for the most part common beliefs right if i do something wrong i I need to kind of balance things out here's the other one let's put the next one if i do something right i deserve something good right i did the dishes this morning i cleaned the house and i finished the laundry Woohoo! i better do i better something good good out of this right that's a common belief right so with that in mind listen to what paul is saying to them he's saying verse 1 chapter 3 he says you foolish galatians strong word who has bewitched 
you. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So he's talking to a crowd who had actually seen, it's not like they heard the story of Jesus, you know, and it was passed down from one generation to the next. No, he's telling them, you've seen it with your very own eyes. And he said, uses the word clearly. You've, it's been clearly portrayed. You've seen him on the cross. It's not something that, you know, some fable that you heard some time ago. No, this is, you're familiar with this. And he said, but you're foolish. That word foolish means unwise it's um it's when someone's spiritually dull when it's somebody that's just not where they need to be it, it kind of reminds me of a, a story lots of preachers tell this story is really well known you've probably heard it about this young man who goes into this company and he wants to get a job at a they they place it they cut trees for lumber and this young man comes up to the manager and he says, look, I'm looking for a job. And the manager looks at him and is like, uh, how good are you, you know, cutting some trees? And it's like, you know, grab your axe and see what you can do. And the guy, I mean, you know, cuts it up, chops it up, you know. And then the manager's kind of impressed. He like was super quick. And he says, um, you can start on Monday. So a young guy shows up, works all day Monday. Next day, Tuesday, works all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday. Thursday, the manager comes to him with a check. And says, here's your check. And the guy's like, oh, I thought, what's going on? I thought you, uh, you paid on Fridays. And so, like, today's your last day. What do you mean today's my last day? He said, we've, look, we've been looking at the daily charts. And you've gone, man, you started in first place on Monday. You were the most productive guy. By Thursday, you were dead last. And the kid goes like, are you kidding me? Like, I show, I'm, the, like I'm one of the first ones to show up. I'm one of the last ones to leave. Uh, I don't take a, uh, the coffee breaks that everybody's taking. My lunch break, I mean, like, I'm working through half of it. You know, like, what do you mean I'm dead last? How is that possible? And the foreman looks at him, and he kind of senses that the kid was, had some integrity because he had seen him work th throughout the week. And he says, have you sharpened your axe? And he says, no, I have not had time. I've been working too hard. To sharpen my axe now we know the moral of the story is we know that that is a foolish thing right to try to cut a tree with a dull axe is what paul is saying to the galatians he's saying you're spiritually that we're foolish means you're spiritually dull you're you're doing you're you're pouring your energy into some things that don't really matter you're doing some things some religious things you're checking off the boxes which we tend to do right check you know i went to church i gave my tithe i served check 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 and paul is looking at them and he's saying you're doing some things that you think are right you're checking off the boxes but you're actually spiritually dull now let me ask you when does a knife become when does it lose its edge when you what when does a knife lose its edge when you use it right now let me ask you when does it like exactly at what point does a knife lose its edge when does it become dull well we don't quite know i mean we just i can just tell it when i use it at some point it becomes dull right the same way it is spiritually you can be doing all the right things, checking off all the right boxes, serving, giving, doing it, and, and, it's, and it happens to pastors all the time. You know, I cannot tell you a number of, of times that I'm, in, I'm doing all the things. I'm checking off all the boxes, but somewhere I'm in my spiritual journey, I'm just not, it's just not what it used to be or what it has been in the past. 
And so Paul is looking at them and he's saying, you're being unwise, you're pouring energy and time, and you're doing things. You think, Proverbs, right? You think it's the right thing. Your motive is right. Your heart is in the right place, but you're actually becoming spiritually dull. And then he continues, and he says, says this. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Like, he wants to find out. You foolish Galatians, uh, verse 1, yeah, verse 1, who has bewitched you? Now, I want you, to, I want you to say that to the person that's close to you, just for fun, all right? We can have fun in church, all right? For whoever's close to you, just ask them that question. Who has, come on, you guys, look, look to the person next to you and tell them, who has bewitched you, all right? Let me, some of you are like, I'm not falling for that trick. He made me do that last time, and it was like, I'm going to explain what that word bewitch means, okay? I'm just going to kind of share it with, with an illustration, okay? How many of you grew up with a parent who um, would literally stop you, a parent that could, could punish you, could threaten your life by just giving you a certain look, how many of you, it's like, yep, I had that, that my mom, my dad, like I could be in a church meeting, I could be in a group setting, and they, all they had to do, like if I was touching something I wasn't supposed to be touching, all she had to do, all he had to do is just look right across the room, and it would be like instant fear, okay, like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this, like all you had to do is just look, and, and that was it, that's what this word means, literally, to cast a spell. Literally an evil eye. Early Christians, very superstitious Christians, would, uh, you know, they didn't have email or text or any of that. So when they would write letters, at the end of their letter, they would say something like this. They would say, may the grace of God be with you and may you never be caught under the power of the evil eye that same word bewitched paul is looking at him and he's saying who's got you under the power of this uh, of some sort of false teaching who has cast a spell on you who has distracted you from the purity of the gospel and then he goes on and he spends the rest of the chapter talking about this this doctrine that's called justification by faith how you and i were justified we're um, we are declared righteous. We, we are accepted, okay? We're received by God by faith alone in Christ. And so he's going to give them three arguments on this. Let me share them with you real quick. The first argument is salvation. It's all about the salvation experience argument. Then he's going to give them a second argument. It's a scriptural argument. And then the third is a logical argument argument okay so let's look in verse two. First argument the salvation experience argument he says this i would like to learn just one thing just want i just want to find out one thing from you guys okay did you receive the spirit did you receive the spirit of god like did you become a believer by observing the law what's that word there observing the law or by believing what you heard in other words did you receive Christ? Did you become a believer by following all the rules? Or was it by basically believing what you heard? That's the question that he's asking. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? There's that word again, spiritually dull. 
Are you so foolish that after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? He says, like, are you so, so foolish that you begin with the Spirit, but now you're trying to attain the, your goals by, like, just all of your human effort? Now, jump to verse 5. Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you? Because, and there's our words again, you observe the law or because you believe what you heard. And so the first argument, the salvation experience argument, he, he looks at them and he says, when you came to Christ, when you came to Christ, did it happen by faith or was it because of the works that you did? It's a thief on the cross, right? When, when you know, the thief looks at Jesus and says, man, I've screwed up my life. It's been, it's a mess. But if you could just remember him, remember me, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, today, today you'll be with me. In paradise, And so Paul is saying to them, are you trying to please God by faith, or are you trying to please him with your human efforts, with all of your work? Paul basically concludes, all it takes is faith. You know where he got that from? He got it from Jesus. Everything that you read about Paul, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, everything, he took it straight from Jesus. In fact, one time Jesus is hanging out with, with his disciples, and, and basically... Um, they're asking him questions and he's giving them answers and you're just kind of laughing and having a good time and Jesus tells us about the most mature kind of faith and so one of like he's, he's communicating with them and one of the disciples says like who's going to be like the greatest like when we get to heaven like who's like you know, when you run like this kingdom of heaven that you're starting all this movement like who's going to be the, the, the greatest and, and they're thinking in their mind they're thinking um, you know, we, we got to learn the, the Pentateuch, like the first five books of the Bible, because that's what Hebrew people, that's what they had to do. From the time they were little, little bitty kids, they study the first, they learn by heart the first five books of the Bible. You grab a Bible and go look at all the first five books of the Bible, and there's a ton of stuff that they had to memorize. And so when Jesus asked them about mature faith, they're probably thinking, oh, we have, to, we have to give to the poor. We have to, you know, do all these religious things. Maybe learn the scriptures and all of that. And you know what, you know what Jesus did? What did you, do you remember? What did he do to explain to him, to them, what mature, most mature kind of faith was? Colin, could you help me out? Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. Buddy, this is my buddy. You guys give it up for Colin. Come here. Be careful, buddy. <laughs> this guy can run. Thank you, buddy. Can you give me a high five? Awesome. Oh, let's start. Boom. There you go. You guys give it up for Colin one more time. Come over here, buddy. All right. Thank you so much for helping me. This guy comes to the church office on, throughout the week, and when he's good, he gets candy, right? You always get candy from, from Pastor Alex, right? Yeah, yummy candy. You know what Jesus does? Talking about most mature faith, he says this. He calls a child from the crowd, and then he points to the people listening, and he says, unless you change, unless you change, unless you change, unless you change, unless you change and become like Colin, you will not... <laughs> That's right, buddy. Give me a fist bump. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Unless you change and become like this child, 
And he goes to the point, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Okay? You guys, give it up for Colin. Thank you, buddy. You did great. Give me a high five. Thank you. You can go. Man, we got we to work on this high five thing. We missed twice. Colin, come here, buddy. <laughs> He's just left me. Let's do, let's do the high five one more time, all right? He's excited. All right. Let's do this. We can do this. But one more time. Boom. There you go. <laughs> anyway, thank you, buddy. But that's, that's, um, that's what happened. Says, tell us who's going to be the greatest. You know, they're thinking, do we need to study? Do we need to become greater theologians? What, do we need to give our money? Do we need to do this? You know, do we check all the boxes? All the religion of the day, right? And he says, Colin, come over here. He calls a child. He's going to come. No. <laughs> come over here. Unless you change and become. It's childlike faith. Most mature kind of faith is simple faith. So there's this little girl, six-year-old, goes to the doctor, and she's going to have a physical, and the doctor's basically checking her out and uh, looks in her ear and says, is that Big Burn in your ear? And, um, you know, Big Bear from Sesame Street, and, and the little girl kind of giggles and says, no, that, you know, Big Burn is not in my ear. And then she basically says, would you open your mouth, stick your tongue out, and say, ah, and, you know. And he goes, is that Cookie Monster in there? And she kind of giggles and kind of laughs. And is like, no, Cookie Monster is not in there. And then doctor starts listening to her heart. And he goes, is, is, is that Barney in there? And the, the little girl goes, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney and kicks him. Barney's in my socks, you know, says. <laughs> Childlike faith. Childlike faith. We stress out so much. But can I tell you how to deal with your finances? The next business decision, the anxiety, the depression. How do you deal with childlike faith? You say, God, I trust you. And I, know, I don't know how it's going to turn out. And I'm freaking out. And you know that my heart is about to stop. And you know the stress and the mess. And you know what's going on. And you, but God, and I don't know. I don't, you know, it's like, and you're like just around the corner. But you can't see far ahead. And it's the unknown, right? It's the, it's the what, what if childlike faith. When my kids were younger, they never questioned where the, they never thought like, oh, where is the next meal coming from? You know, they never questioned that. How are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to, how are you going to provide for us to have a roof over our... No, they just simply had trust in us. They never questioned, Mom, where the next meal was going to... They just knew it was lunchtime. Here it comes. It's going to be on that table because it's lunchtime. Supper comes. D- dinner's going to be ready. You know, whatever. What, breakfast, it'll be, it'll be here. Not once in their short life span did they ever question will mom or dad take care of us and the same way it is spiritually and so childlike faith if you can surrender if you can get to that place all of a sudden you can do this (sighs) all right god thank you you know what i'm gonna surrender i'm gonna let you be in the in charge Finances, the job search, paying the bills, the next project, health issues, the anxiety, depression, all of that, God, you'll take care of it. So Paul is saying that to him. When you, when you gave your life to Christ, did, was it because of all the things you did or was it faith? Now, they're not buying it. 
because they have hard heart. And so the Judaizers, this group of people that were making the Gentiles follow all these rules, um, just to kind of bring you up to speed, this was from a couple of weeks ago, but just in case. Um, so when, when the, the Jewish people, when Jesus comes, the Jewish people, they were used to, they were expecting the Messiah, so they really didn't really convert. They just started following Jesus. And, you know, they just continue on. But there was a group of people called the Gentiles who had different practices pagan practices and so when they they begin to follow jesus their mindset changed and it's like man this guy like we're we're there's something special about this guy they started following him their pagan practices stay the same way and so they were offending the jewish people and the judaizers the jewish people were saying you've got to submit to our rules and they were like sort of the true converts of the day. But they were offended, offending the Jews. And they were, this is what's going on in the book of Galatians. This is what Paul is saying. It's not all the rules. Because what they said, and one of the examples that we, we looked at last week, if you're a Gentile, um, you have to be circumcised. And so they're looking at like, like this is an Old Testament rule. This was not for us. This is a, it's a new day. And so when the new members class came, man, it was packed with moms and children and the men were all in the car waiting it's like we're not gonna do we're not doing this circumcision thing like it's not for us what they do they came up with a list a list of things so that you become like us and paul is saying time out time out when you gave your life to christ did he make you do a bunch of rules or was it because of you what you heard so they're not buying it they're not buying it and so he's gonna move on he's gonna He's going to give them the second argument, which is scriptural argument that justification is by faith alone. And basically, he talks to them about this guy that they were very familiar with. His name is Abraham. Abraham, just a little history, just very briefly. Abraham came 400 years before the law was given. So just keep that in mind. Abraham came 400 years before... The old, the, before Moses came, before Moses gave the Old Testament. And so he says this, verse 6, he says, Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Did he do a bunch of works? No. Even in the Old Testament. A lot of people think that in the Old Testament you had to do the sacrifices, and, and people came to know the Lord through all the works. No, no, no. Even in the Old Testament, it was by faith. That people, that people came to know God. And so he says, consider Abraham. Let me give you a little bit of a scriptural argument because that's kind of where you come from. You know, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't a bunch of words. It was faith, faith in the future Messiah. Uh, the New Living Translation puts it like this. Abraham believed God and God declared him righteous. True story, something that happened years ago, 2008, true story. Um, young single mom with little kids um, worked at the post office because of the economy I think it was 2008 right um, she basically lets you know they let her go they um, laid her off and basically um, doesn't have money to pay for her mortgage several months later they repossess the house um, they're gonna put it on auction for $20,000 there's a stranger that comes this is in North Carolina, one of the first churches we served at. Um, stranger comes, shows up, an investor shows up, finds out the story, and asks her, is your house worth $20,000? She's like, I paid $80,000. I just have not been able to, lost my job, tells the whole story. Stranger writes a check, buys a house, and turns around 
and gives it back to her. That is the picture that Paul is trying to communicate to them. It's, gr- it's what we call grace. When you come to Christ, you're broken, you're, you're empty, you don't have anything. I mean, a lot of times, you know, like, when, especially when, when we talk about money, you know, people think, oh, he wants money from me again, you know. And, and here's what I want you to understand. When, when we talk about whatever subject we're talking about, what God wants is something for you. And so when he says, trust me with your finances, it's not because you're going to provide something for God. It's not something, and I, and I know that it's in religious circles, it's been abused time and time again. But when God in scripture, right, says, give me your first, it's not because he's like, I'm going to be like, yes, I, you know, like I, I, you, or like church, for example, church attendance, right? Or one of those boxes that we have to check. Like when you finally say, okay, I'm going to start coming to church. It's not, like God doesn't go, God's not in heaven. It's like, oh, finally, you're coming to church. I've been waiting for all these years for you. No, no, no. It's for your own good. It's for your own good. When I decide to be an honest person and I live my life, a life of integrity, it's not because God's going to be like, yes, finally, you know, I've been waiting this whole time. No, no, it's because it's good for me. Because long term, man, I don't know how I would do it. Like, like if, you know, I don't have a really good memory, but if I tell one lie here and one lie I couldn't keep my life straight. And so all the rules, all the regulations, like the Ten Commandments, for example, Right? You have the Ten Commandments. God says, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. He's, all he's saying is, I think it would be, I think it's a good idea if you don't run around stealing from each other. I think, I think it may be a good idea if you don't, you know, just go around cheating on each other and doing all this, you know. And so it just makes sense. But it's not because God wants something from you, it's because he wants something for you. And so Paul says he gives him the example of abraham he just believed he didn't have to do a bunch of religious things bible says our best work is like filthy rags our best work in comparison to god's holiness and his righteousness the very best thing that i can do okay doesn't even compare to who he is so gives him the salvation experience argument the scriptural argument and this is the last one we'll be done here in five minutes the logical Argument. It's okay. Let me reason with you. Let me just, because I know some of you guys are not there just yet. And he gives them a logical argument. He actually gets ahead of them a little bit because they have a question in mind. They have not had a chance to ask the question, but he will ask the question ahead of them, which Jesus would often do this, okay? And so here's the question that he asked, verse 19 says what then it's about faith right like he says if excuse me the question that they have in mind is if it's all about faith then why the law because god gave the law right so if it's all about faith then why do we why do we have the law so this is verse 19 what then was the purpose of the law makes sense i think whether you're a believer or not i mean a reasonable person would ask that question i mean if god doesn't want the law why did he give the law in the first place verse 24 He says, the law was put in charge, in other words, was put in place to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. There is that that whole concept that he's talking about, this whole chapter. Verse 25, now that faith has come, okay, in the form of Christ, now that faith has come, we no longer, and hang in there, okay, we're almost done. This is a really important part. 
Okay, there's a great illustration that he's given us. He says, now the faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. That whole phrase, okay, is one Greek word. Just one word. And it's this word. It's the word paida gogos. Say that with me. Paida gogos. Ready? One, two, three. Paida gogos. Paida gogos. Okay? That whole phrase is one, one word. Paida gogos. Let me tell you what a paida gogos was in that day and age. A paida gogos was uh, a servant, a slave, that their main job was to take your child from home all the way to school safely and back. That's a paedagogos. In the Greco and Roman culture, people who were very wealthy, wanting to protect their children, they would pick, they would have a paedagogos. They would have a very trusted um, servant, okay? Very trusted individual. Like they, were, they trusted them enough. They were almost like family that, that this like, man, we're putting our kids in your hands. And their main job was to take the kids from home safely all the way to school. And back every day. That's a, the main job that they, they had. In a sense, the purpose, hang in there with me, the purpose of the law was to deliver us, to lead us to Christ safely. That's the purpose of the law. Two closing thoughts. And our worship team is going to get here on stage real quick. Two closing thoughts. Number one about the law where there's no law, there's no sin. Okay, so if I'm going 65 miles an hour and there's no, no sign that says that the speed limit is 45, there's nothing written down, you know, I'm just, I'm driving 65 miles an hour. Well, I, there's no way, I'm, I'm not going to get a ticket, right? Because the law defines what's right or what's, what's wrong. So where there is no law, there's no sin. The law defines sin. Here's the second thought and we'll close with this. The law cannot cure sin. So the law is there to define it, but it cannot fix it. It can't fix sin. It can't cure sin. Now, there's a, a few rumors out there that I'm a wild driver. I don't know who said it, you know. I don't know. But there's some people out there saying that Pastor Alex, you better watch out. He is a wild driver, all right? I don't know who's, who's judging me, but whatever. How many of you have gotten a, be honest, gotten a ticket before, speeding ticket, parking ticket? Raise your hand. I see you over there in the back, sir. I know you've gotten a ticket before. <laughs> Raise your hand. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Give me your hands, all right? See, see, see? Don't judge me. I'm not the only one. If I try to be a perfect driver, I'm just, this is personal. If I try to be the best driver ever, I've tried before too, by the way. If I tried... To be a really good driver and I read the book and I went to the class and I passed the written test and the driving test if I drive for any like 34 years however long right for any period of time there's no way for Alex Velarde to not get a ticket there's been times I've gotten a ticket, all right? But we won't talk about those times, all right? But there's no way, even if I tried the very best, intentionally or in unintentionally, there's no way that I can keep every single law, that I'll never go a mile over the speed limit, that I'll always drive carefully, that I'll always drive. There's no way. 
in the same way it is spiritually. That's why we say no perfect people allowed. Only Jesus gets 100. Only Jesus gets 100. Now, I, I know if, if you're like me, I know kind of what you go through because at times, it's not that, I, that we don't try, right? I mean, you're in church. You're listening. You're watching. It's not because you want to be a fool. No, you want to build up your conscience. You, you, I mean, you're here for a reason. This is, your heart is in the right place, right? You want to know a little bit more about God's word. And so I'm, I'm a little bit like you in that sense, but there are times when I, I screw up. And the people that are really close to me, like not, I mean, I have a lot of friends here in amazing church, but don't get me wrong. I'm talking about the people that are really close to me, my wife, my kids. The, the, the ones that really, no, they don't know the Alex that gets up on stage. They know the true Alex. They know I mess up. They know I make mistakes on a daily basis. They know when I screw up. They know when I lose it. And so at times throughout life, you know, I beat myself over the head. I'm like, man, I wish I was a better dad. I wish I, was a, wish I wouldn't have reacted that way. And you know, you, you're a Christian for me, it's been probably more than 20 years, but I, there's times when I'm like, God, I still doubt you. It just doesn't feel like I've, I've made any progress. And I'm still, I still get anxiety. And from time to time, I get depressed and I question you. And I don't know if I should make this decision or that decision and things go a certain way. And then I complain and I look to you and I'm like, you know, and I doubt you. And if you're like me, I struggle and I, and I beat up my head and I just kind of get myself in a bad place. And so, can I just share the verse that we started with? Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right. There's a way, like when I try, when I try really hard, there's a fine line between trying and, and trying too hard. There's, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a spiritual person, there's a fine line between doing it all on, like, it's on me. Like, I can be a superhero Christian. I'm going to save the world. I'm going to be the best pastor out there. There's a fine line between saying, okay, God, I surrender. God, whatever it is that you want in my life. I don't want to be spiritually dull because I can be, I can be hammering that tree with everything I got. And I can be the perfectionist that I try to be and still fail. There's a way that seems right, but in the end, it's catastrophic. It doesn't lead to life. And so if you're going to put your trust in anything, put it in Jesus. Not yourself, not the church, not the pastor. Pastor will disappoint you. The church will do something that will mess something up. People will fail you. Put your trust in something, someone that can never be taken from you. With heads by and eyes closed, Father God, thank you that you said, through your son, you said, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. The business decisions, 
the bills, the anxiety. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't say except through work. Thank you that I don't have to say six prayers a day for you to accept me. Thank you that I can come broken and spiritually empty and, and with my axe dull. And you love me enough to say, it's not you, buddy. What you need is childlike faith. What you need is to be a little bit more like Colin. What you need is that passion running down the aisle. What you need is like, like that little girl. Jesus is in my heart. And so it's not you. It's not that we're not going to try. I'm not telling you not to try. I'm telling you, surrender to him. If we can help you, if you're watching online, if you're here in person, you want to continue the conversation, you can text the word Jesus to our number. And we'd love to continue the conversation. How many of you in this room would say, Pastor, I'm a little bit like you. I beat myself over the head all the time. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand all over the room? I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else who say, man, I beat myself over. Oh, I don't think I'm a good mom. I don't think I'm a good dad. Man, I, I provide for my family, but I never feel like it's enough. I'm never enough. And I serve and I give and I do this, but it's never enough. I can never achieve it. Anyone else? Raise your hand. God sees your hand. He sees your heart. And he says, I'm for you. And you are enough. Not because of you, but because of who I am in you. God, we love you. We thank you. We surrender before you. Help us. God, we confess wherever we've messed up. We readjust. God, we, we realign ourselves. It's not our own standards. It's your standards, God. We build up our conscience with your word. And we want to be a little bit more like you. Not because of rules and regulations, God but because we love you and we believe it's what, what's best for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.